1: Hey, everybody. Uh, Jacob here with uh, Daniel 3. Um, got an uh, interesting show for you guys. Um, this episode, I interviewed Stefan Molyneux of Freedom Main Radio. Uh, Stefan is, if you know him, you know, kind of goes without that saying that he has a lot of controversies surrounding him. And um, at the same time, there is a lot to his work that um, I think. Most people, if they're willing to be charitable, even if they have issues with him, they're going to say that there are some things he's done. You know, whether it's his work on peaceful parenting, um, things like practical anarchy. Um, there, there's a lot of good that Stefan did. Um, before he became more controversial, and um, we spent the first bit of the conversation focusing on. The areas where we, we wildly, you know, we have more in common or agree, even though he's not a Christian, we talked a lot about the relationship between Christianity, the church, and, you know, libertarian philosophy, and, you know, kind of ordering a society to promote the ideals of liberty. Um, on the, uh, you know, latter half of the conversation, I tried to push the conversation more towards an area where we talked about some of our disagreements. Um, you know, I feel like Stefan either wasn't understanding, um, a couple of the objections I made, or he maybe dodged them a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was trying to be charitable. Um, I think too often in this movement and, and then especially in the, uh, party politic arena of, of libertarianism, there's just, um, there, there's just a lot of, uh, Try to find the right way to phrase it. I guess there's um, uh, people unwilling to be charitable and not able to be adults, and you know have reasonable disagreements with people. I, you know, there's a lot of areas where I disagree with Molyneux, but I can still value where he's coming from, and I don't think that you know just because somebody has views that I disagree with, even if it's on uh, areas of you know, or topics that are controversial or might be considered taboo, um, I don't think that should warrant the conversation being shut down. Um, You know, for example, Molyneux has talked a lot about race and IQ. um, And that's a topic that um, a lot of people are not going to be a big fan of. Um, And I I understand where they are coming from. I think that um, my, and I talk about this in the podcast, I don't... You know, I think that there's validity to race and IQ science, but at the same time, I, I think that it's about how you emphasize it and where you go with it. You know, for me, I've always said, you know, I, I lean more towards, I think that the data is is true, but I think that there's um, only so much that IQ can demonstrate, and also there's a lot of environmental factors that need to be considered. And even Stefan admits to that. Um at the same time, I think it's fair to expect maybe some genetic, um, you know, differences might play a role into it, but, in you know, I think that there's certain things that Stefan has talked about, you know, paired with race and IQ that make people, I don't know, raise their eyebrows a little bit, or, you know, just they have accused them of being a white nationalist, a eugenicist, and, I don't know, my intuitions, my observations have been that Stefan has been pretty consistent once he talks about this, these things to say, you don't judge individuals based upon group averages and that, um, you know, he denounces white nationalism, denounces racism, you know, he promote, he still is. an. I asked him straight up in the podcast, like, would you still consider, consider yourself an anarchist, even though you supported Trump, you've been very strong and vocal about your positions on immigration um, he still says he's an anarcho capitalist, and you know he's. Pretty, you, know, you can go onto his website, and he has a, a video called "Like the Truth About Stefan Molyneux," where he goes on and talks about why he's not a, you know, white nationalist, and a lot of the claims out there about him are things that people have taken wildly out of context, and that says a lot. You know, like, the things about him being a eugenicist are like, you know, cl- clearly taken out of context, and. We talked about that in the episode as well. So, you know, it's it's possible to view somebody as a sum of all their parts and not focus on the bad ones. And I don't know, I have my opinions and my suspicions about why this isn't a popular thing in our culture to do. Um, but ultimately, I don't know why we can't push back against that. And why I can't have a civil conversation with someone like Stefan Molyneux, where I both talk about you know the agreements and and the, the things that we share in common, and then try to have a friendly discourse about the areas we disagree. If if Stefan Molyneux, I think it's fair to say Stefan Molyneux is probably wrong on a fair number of these subjects, whether it comes to borders, um, the exact application of race and IQ uh, statistics. And uh, also on matters of uh, police shootings and stuff, he's been, you know, in in my opinion, um, a little bit incorrect in his analysis. I think the solution to bad speech has to be good speech. And when we shut down conversations, not only do we hurt ourselves, um, we we hurt ourselves for one because we're, we're not sharpening our ideas against those who have opposing ideas. Um, we're also hurting the people who have the bad ideas because we're not challenging them. Calling someone a racist or a Nazi or you know all the names that you hear on social media, this doesn't change anyone's mind and this doesn't provide anything productive, I think, to the uh, overall discourse. And it, it doesn't serve the people watching. um, The people who watch these interactions and stuff, if they share sentiments with someone like Stefan Molyneux on those ideas that I think that he's wrong about, um, they are more likely to be encouraged to continue down a path of looking at those ideas and maybe only hearing the wrong side of it and never hearing the counter side because of things like cancel culture and deplatforming. So uh, it should go without saying, I think with anybody I have on my show, that there's going to be areas that we disagree on. And I think it's okay to not spend an entire hour, hour and a half focusing on where we disagree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of combative person. There are some in the liberty movement who pride themselves on being combative. And I, you know, I think that's wrong for a whole myriad of reasons that I am sure to go into in the future because I'm actually having, um, <laughs> well, you'll see, I have a surprise guest coming up later in September that will be... Uh, uh interesting and will be a continuation of the kind of thoughts and uh, things I'm talking about here. But to get back on subject, um, you know, listen to the whole conversation. Even if you're not a Molinu fan, if you are a Molyneux fan, you'll you'll enjoy this. I think uh even with his controversial takes, you know, I've already talked about Molinu has an interesting interesting way of viewing the world, of, of um expressing philosophy pushing for universalism and logical consistency. And uh, this is my second conversation with him over the past three years. And I hope to do it again sometime in the future because I truly enjoy uh, my conversations with him. Um, Also, I talked about this in the uh, podcast, um, but I just wanted to double emphasize it here in the uh, intro. Uh, Definitely, you know, got the new website up and... uh, if you guys could go check that out, that would be awesome. Any feedback is appreciated. It is uh, daniel318.com. Um, just got that up. And I uh, wanted to plug more thoroughly here. Not during the, I didn't do this very thorough during the stream. But the uh, I wanted to plug my uh, website producers, uh, which are friends of mine who I'm going to get on the podcast at some point in the future, Um, they're currently living in, uh, uh, in, I forget what, actually forget what country they're living in now. It's a Scandinavian country, somewhere in Europe, but they're coming back to the States soon. But, uh, my friends Kaylee and Josh of, uh, Sexton Inventive are the ones that worked on my site and have done a lot of my branding for me. So definitely check them, uh, look them up, check them out. Um, if you have any, you know, needs for, uh you know anything as simple as branding logos, graphic design, or as much as you know having a website built, they are uh good at what they do, and um yeah, that's it. so hope you enjoy this conversation between me and the uh great Stefan Molyneux because one does not have Stefan Molyneux on without obeying the uh uh <laughs> the libertarian culture. Um, where you you have to reference the common tropes, and the trope about Molyneux is that he is the great Stefan Molyneux. So we'll go ahead and uh, give a listen. Thanks for watching. Okay, says that we are live. Uh, good evening, uh, those of us who are joining us. Uh, I'm Jacob Daniel. I'm host of the uh, Daniel 3 podcast. Um, i uh, got an interesting uh, conversation for you guys tonight. I'm excited to have our guest. Um, before we get into the conversation, wanted to make a couple announcements and, and some updates. Um, the website is now up, so I wanted to announce that before we got started. Uh, Daniel318.com is the, uh, the uh, domain that you can go to and go check that out. I'm very proud of the work that my uh, my friends over at Sexton Inventive uh, did to get that up and running. It looks great, looks fantastic. Um, very excited about that. Um, and other than that, only other update I wanted uh, to give is that um, there's going to be a little bit of a hiatus uh, next week um, in content, but then the week after that, got some more guests coming up. So make sure you stay tuned. Um, yeah. So. Uh, our guest tonight, for those who didn't read the intro for some reason or uh, just stumbling in, is uh, Stefan Molyneux, and I'm going to bring him up right now. Stefan, how are you doing tonight? Look at that, not picking my nose
0: like a real pro. How you doing? <laughs> nice to chat with you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, not a problem. I'm, I'm excited. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with you, um, I feel like most of my audience knows who you are. But if you could just give you know, like a five-minute introduction of... Uh, yourself and you know the stuff you do over at, at uh, Free Domain, and, uh, and and yeah, just we'll go from there.
0: Sure, well, I guess at my peak, I had the world's largest and most popular philosophy show, probably close to 800 million views and downloads. I have about a million books downloaded and read a year on relationships, on uh, anarchy, voluntarism, politics, theology, you name it. Um, I'm also a novelist, and um, I have the distinct pleasure and honor, I suppose, of being yeeted off just about every major social platform in the run-up to the 2020 election. I guess they had figured out what I did for the 2016 election, not to mention Brexit. So I'm still out here doing my work, uh, more philosophical work than political work now. You can find me at freedomain.com, and uh, I'm really happy to chat with you and your listenership tonight.
1: Yeah. Um, and I remember when I first uh, was, uh, so I came from the the left originally. I was a Bernie Sanders supporter and voted for Hillary Clinton of uh, all people back in 2016, which, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, uh, my voting record is not something I'm proud of. <laughs> and uh, Well, but um, you can't
0: know till you know, right? I mean, well, sure, sure. you can't know till you know.
1: But you were, you were one of the people that helped. Uh, Deprogram me, so to speak. Um, uh, when I first started talking, <laughs> I think the word you're looking
0: for is radicalized. Because apparently, oh, yeah. anyone yeah. who drifts closer to the truth is just radicalized. You know how like plants are radicalized by sunlight and so on.
1: Yes, yes, the the radical philosophy of you know leave people alone, and don't take their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep, as, as the saying goes. Um, uh, but yeah, I wanted to um, start off by talking about you know we, we had a conversation. I don't know how much you remember it, because it was like a call in show. Uh, back in 2018 but this was back when I first I was first uh exploring libertarian thought but the people had pointed me to you but I also found your your older stuff where you talked a lot about uh philosophy and and your um your the reasons why you were an atheist why you didn't believe in God I was still kind of in my like I don't know cage stage Christian mode like I needed to combat <laughs> with atheists and stuff and so I called in we had a conversation and you said hey listen I mean Maybe this conversation isn't the best conversation to have while the state is, uh, you know, uh, coming and knocking down our doorstep. And, you know, that was back in 2018. I mean, we I don't know if either of us could have guessed what was going to come come down the road a couple of years like we've seen over the, you know, 2020. And even this year, it's been uh, a lot of crazy stuff. But um, you have had an interesting relationship in terms of your views with Christianity and the church. Maybe you could explain that for my audience, for those who for those who don't follow you as much.
0: Sure, yeah, absolutely. And it is complicated, I guess, as these things are supposed to be. It used to be less complicated, which meant that I was less um, wise about it. But so I was raised Christian. I was in the choir and um, went to church uh, two to three times a week, particularly when I was in boarding school. And I fell away from... God, I fell away from Jesus because I felt vastly unprotected in a dangerous world. My world at home uh, was very dangerous. My mother was mentally ill and ended up being institutionalized, it was extraordinarily violent. And I was surrounded by Christians. I was surrounded by friends and family members and and neighbors and so on who were all Christians who could hear the violence occurring within my home and didn't find themselves troubled to phone the police or to knock on the door or to any kind of aid in salvation. And I'm certainly not alone in this. Children who've been abused in society are generally abused within significant earshot of everyone around. I hope this isn't too frank and personal to your audience, but, no, you know, we've got time for politics. So so I think what happened was, and this is sort of stuff I excavated later, it was like, okay, so this is a cold, amoral universe where it's fight or succumb. It's kill or be killed. It's survive or or die. And that Darwinian reality of my childhood I think translated into a great willingness to accept Darwinianism and and secularism and so on and morality was a uh, human invention a convention I read a lot of Nietzsche and I was like yeah morality is just a tool invented by the rulers to exempt themselves from the moral rules they impose upon their subjects so that there's more to steal from you know if you're a thief and a good thief the first thing you want to do is convince everyone else that stealing is immoral so that they accumulate resources so you can steal them, right? So I viewed morality as a con game. And uh, this, of course, led to a rather amoral and hedonistic youth. And sort of fast-forwarding things, I ended up being quite dissatisfied with all of that. And I was an objectivist, and I accepted a fair amount of Randian ethics and so on, although I felt that the clincher still wasn't there in the realm of ethics, and as an empiricist and a sort of pure rationalist, I couldn't go to theology to get my arguments because theology starts with the premise and philosophy that like God exists and and God has instructed us on moral virtues. Philosophy can't do that. Philosophy has got to be completely blank slate. You cannot assume any any premises. It's called begging the question in a lot of way. So I ended up working uh, in the realm of morality in particular, and came up with a moral explanation or an explanation of morality called universally preferable behavior, which um, we can go into if you want, but suffice to say it satisfied me and I I spent 20 years or really more being unsatisfied by moral explanations. I can't go with the law. The law is just an opinion with a gun. Uh, I couldn't go with theology. I couldn't go with the Darwinian what's best for the individual because, you know, you look at Obama, he's got a lovely house uh, in Martha's Vineyard and you look at George Bush, who started the Iraq war, and he's got a nice pension and loves painting little pictures he shows to people on planes on his iPad, seems to have a pretty sweet existence, as you look at the Clintons, yeah, your favorite politician, I guess at one time they've accumulated ungodly amounts of money, uh, I think largely through intimidation and corruption, in my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I couldn't find an explanation, yet I desperately wanted to be good. And so I worked from a philosophical standpoint to build a proof of ethics that relied neither upon the, the guns of the government, nor the theology of God. And I think I did a pretty good job, it's certainly held the test of time, I've debated it countless times, I've presented it countless times, and nobody's yet to pierce it. So, I worked a lot on morality, and what I did was, you know, like a, a child with their first drawing, I, I brought it with great pride and, and joy and happiness to the atheist community, you know, my, my brothers and sisters in, in reason. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because, you know, I can only laugh about it now, many years later. But it's sort of like um, if somebody is dying of a terminal illness and you come in with a magical cure, you don't do it for the attaboys, but it wouldn't hurt, you know, to get a couple of, hey, man, you just saved my life. I really appreciate that. Good job, right? And the Holy Grail of philosophy is a proof of uh, virtue, a proof of ethics, a proof of morality that is distinct from theology. And is objective and universal. And I know now. I mean, I wrote this book like thirteen years ago, or whatever. So I know now, and I wrote the article, the initial articles, long before that. So I know now for an absolute fact, I have proven secular morality. And you'd think that that would be the great gift that the atheist would really love, because that's the the thing that atheism has never answered: is what is virtue? Why be good? And theology has an answer for it. I, I remember that, of course, very much from gro- from growing up. Right? I mean that. Uh, the Ten Commandments, and, and God is good, and God has commanded us to be moral, so they have an answer. The atheists never did, which is why they fell prey to leftism and secularism and hedonism and all this kind of crap. So I went to the atheist community saying, dude, and dude S's, I've, I've solved it, I've cracked the nut, and we now have the holy grail of philosophy. Aren't you going to be thrilled? Not necessarily with me, but at least with the solution. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think they reacted to a rational proof of secular morality? Well, um, somewhat akin to, uh, I think a vampire would react to a clove of garlic wrapped around a crucifix at dawn. So there was a thunderous indifference and hostility towards this gift, which the atheist community has always lacked and always promised that they would embrace when delivered. And, of course, then I realized that my brothers and sisters in reason weren't rational. They simply disliked God because God gave them morals and rules and they had to restrain their behavior and they couldn't be pompous. Yeah, 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 they were nihilists to some degree. They were hedonists. And what they enjoyed doing was picking at the easy holes of theology and feeling pompous and virtuous because of that. But when you came with actual virtue, because of course, as you know, when you let go of God, you go to the state. That's, That's the deal, right? That's the communist Christian opposition, right? You let go of God and you go to the state. And so because my uh, the theory of ethics, universally preferable behavior, denies the virtue and value of the state, then the supposed rational people who loved ter- tearing Christians away from, from religion, although rarely with Muslims and rarely with Hindus and rarely with, anyway, the other 10,000 gods, but they loved lording it over Christians because, you see, they could puncture holes in Christian theology and felt that they had done a great service to reason. But when I disproved their God, the virtue and value of the state, well, they reacted as extremists uh, who who were addicted to violence, which is status as a whole. You react as extremists and violent tendency people would. They get very hostile, they get very manipulative, they get very destructive. And so, of course, I faced this choice. Okay, these people I thought were my brothers and sisters in reason, are persisting in their error and their error is sanctifying the use of violence against me, my child, my family, through taxation, regulation, control, national debts, uh, well now of course vaccine passports and all that kind of stuff. So I looked at these two people, okay I got the Christians over here, the Christians and I believe thou shalt not steal, the Christians and I believe thou shalt not murder, the Christians uh, and I believe thou shalt not bear false witness. And Where I can identify errors in the Christianity, they do not impose them on me by force. However, over here we have the statists. And the statists worship a god called the state, which they want to have tyrannical and coercive control over me, my family, my children, their children, and so on, right? And so who do I have more in common with? The people who vastly overlap with me in terms of ethics, who would never dream of imposing their morals on me by force, or the people who violently oppose a rational system of ethics and want to impose their view of the world on me by force. So after being rather cruel and unkind to Christians, and of course the Christians being very kind to me in response, which was something I did not deserve, but of course it's the unguessed gifts that tend to be the most meaningful, I um, apologize to Christians, and I um, uh, we, are, uh, we are brothers in the uh, uh, pursuit of virtue and the opposition to coercion.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very much like UPB. Um, uh, you're, you're calling you're calling atheists to give up religion, and they gave up what they thought was religion, but they didn't stop being religious. They just they just rejected one god for for another, basically. Well, They're they rejected.
0: Being, no, they rejected a peaceful god for a violent god. Okay. Yeah. And that's the problem because, again, you know, Christians have never sought to impose any beliefs on me by force. When I left Christianity, you know, try leaving a country. Good luck. You know, the exit taxes and, you know, regulations and right. So you can you can I left the church and nobody tackled me and chased me down and locked me in a dungeon and took half my stuff. And like it was like, yeah, God be with you. You know, come back when you're ready. Right. Uh, but the atheists uh, they don't let you get away quite so easy. They're a little bit more stalky and, and chaining you in the dungeon after chloroforming you with the Bill of Rights.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And, you know, I, I feel like there was also, you know, like the conversation we had, again, to, to, to reference that again, I was still feeling the sting of, not really you personally, but like atheists such as yourself who had spent a lot of time attacking Christians. And, um, you know, one thing that I took away from our conversation that has, has carried me to this day is re- re- you kind of reminded me, like, again, like, you don't need to prove that, that God exists because it's called faith and the idea of faith is just that you believe it without proof if you and you know if if i could prove god exists, it wouldn't require faith it would just be science or philosophy and that's something that that i have um you know no longer wrestling with i, I actually embrace and i think that uh christians should spend less time arguing with atheists about like trying to convince them that that, that god is real or, or christianity is, is beneficial for them over the metaphysical argument and more time pointing towards universal morality, which is something that you and I agree on a hundred percent, you know, and, um, you would still, I mean, you're, you're still consider yourself, a, an anarchist, right. Fundamentally, that would be your, your, your universal principles, you know, carried to their fullest extent. You believe that the state is illegitimate and that, uh, you know, self self-ownership, do not murder, do not steal. Those are things that, uh, are the the logical conclusions of if we take those things and and make them universal and stop making, you know, exceptions for people because of, you know, they're a king or because we need as the as the trope goes, what about marodes? So, <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: so uh, certainly uh, I would be more than happy to be described as an anarcho-capitalist. I mean, and I've written books, Practical Anarchy and Everyday Anarchy, going over the details of how we know that uh, anarchy is uh, the way that society should self-organize and and how it would self-organize, most likely in the absence of a state. The problem with being called an anarchist, though, it's like calling a scientist a Lamarckian or a Darwinian or whatever. It's the process of science that matters, not particularly the conclusions. So certainly feel free to call me an anarchist, but I would say that the non-aggression principle is universal. It bows to no man. It bows to no costume. It bows to no crown. It bows to no collective praise it bows to no vote it bows to no legislature or no parliament it is in fact universal and thou shalt not initiate the use of force is the foundational morality that unites UBB in Christianity I'm sorry that's really disrespectful to put UBB first how ridiculous <laughs> given that I believe Christianity is just a tad older and has a few more adherents <laughs> that unites or, or wherein Uh, UPB attempts to trail past the magnificent moral structure to a large degree of Christianity. So, yeah, I mean, non-aggression principle, you you take simple things and you universalize them. Like, that's, that's progress. Progress is very simple and very universal, but, of course, simplicity and universality get in the way of a lot of power mongers and a lot of politicians and a lot of power structures. The movements of literally trillions of dollars around the world are based upon two-faced moral hypocrisy and so you know I'm reading the uh, trial and death of Socrates with my daughter at the moment and I did it as a show many years ago and it's like yeah same same thing still going on Socrates says yeah don't get involved in politics because if you get between the politicians and their prey they'll make pretty pretty short work of you and so UPB is universal when we look at uh, the modern world what did the modern world found itself on was universality right I mean how did we understand our place in the universe from a material standpoint well Newton had an apple fall on his head, as the story goes, and he said, "Hey, I got a thought. What if, what if everything falls? What if an apple falling on me? What if the tree is falling to the ground? What if the ground is falling up to the tree a little bit? What if the moon is falling around the Earth? What if the Earth is falling around the Sun? You know, and say, what if it's all universal? What if there's no different rule, right? Because they used to believe that the stars hung above the Earth in a firmament, right? Like somehow they weren't, they were immune to gravity and universality and so on. It's like, well, what if we just have?" A universe where everything's constant. Gravity is a constant. Later, Einstein, of course, the speed of light is a constant. What if everything is just universal? And out of that universality, that just saying, okay, simple and universal, we get the modern world, modern science at least. Now, we've done that. And, of course, this was the end of slavery, one of the great achievements of Christians uh, from the British Empire and other places as well, the end of slavery. What if self-ownership is universal? What if self-ownership is universal? Let's just play that out. Oh, it means no slavery, right? And it certainly means no income tax, and you can maybe pay some tariffs or whatever, right? So that was the foundation of the republic and the end of slavery, which was, again, the great moral mission of Christians through the British Empire, largely around the world. So just making things simple and universal. And what if? what if thou shalt not steal is universal? Well, what is taxation? Taxation is taking property against your will. Ah, you can vote for it. It's like, well not really because you can't vote to not be taxed and so it's not you know i mean we 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 recognize of course that sex should always be voluntary but somehow we exempt property from that and if the state had rape gangs we'd be appalled but because they're pillaging mostly men's wallets we somehow don't particularly care because men are disposable so it's just the idea of like stupid blindness simplicity like it's like if explain morality to me like i'm three years old it's like that's what we do with kids, right? We, I, I worked in a daycare. We we have kids in kindergarten, and what do we say? We don't say, "Well, don't take other kids' toys unless unless if you can get the majority of kids to agree with you that the kid's toy should be taken, then it's totally fine."
1: Or, right, or if the or if you need the toy to construct some really <laughs> super important fort, you know what right, I mean? Like, right, right. Don't don't take other here. kids' yeah.
0: candy unless they have more candy than you. And then right. you, like we just we we just say, "Don't hit, don't steal." That, yeah. And, and that's, that's universal. And we, we give all of these universals to our kids and we expect them to live by them. And then when it comes to adults with power, we tie ourselves into these Gordian lower intestine brain knots trying to justify all these ridiculous contradictions in, you know, way back in the day, you know, the Ptolemaic system, right? So they thought everything had to be a perfect circle. So in order to explain the retrograde motion of Mars, right, like the Earth accelerates fast around the sun, so Mars looks like it's going backwards at one point, they had all these circles within circles, and it took guys four days to calculate the position of Mars until, was it, Galileo or Copernicus or Tycho Brahe, one of those guys, was like, okay, dude, if we take the sun, put it in the middle, I can give you the position of Mars in about three minutes. And that simplicity. When things get over complex, and, and you know, I took political science with Charles Taylor at McGill and I did a whole year on the guy, like no idea what the hell he was ever saying. It's always so complex and oh my God, and you know, there's social this and and contract that and 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 oh like it's like can or, we just or it's
1: like we... Keynesian economics where it's like trying to explain <laughs> right. the the you know like, like the Austrians have the actual easy explanation for why the uh, the economy goes through these booms and busts but with Keynesian economics it's just like you know bl- black magic wizardry and the, the magic magical money printer that you know it, you know n- n- never quite we never quite get to that part where Uh, you stop printing money because like supposedly (laughs) we're supposed to get to a point where like we've stimulated the economy and it rebounds and we pay off our debt I'm still waiting for for uh, that part of Keynesian economics to play out maybe they maybe they forgot it I don't know well (laughs)
0: well, and of course as you know the Keynes was a predatory guy uh, on on a predatory homosexual and which is not totally irrelevant to me uh, as far as like I look for someone if someone's going to tell society how to run and and how to be a good society and a moral and a just society and they're predatory in their personal sexual life. It's like, uh, I I have questions. I, I like people to show me the little morals before they impose the old big morals on me at the point of a gun. So, uh, but of course, the people in power loved Keynesianism, because it gives oh, them the good. excuse to bribe the voters with borrowed money and of course you know oh yeah we'll pay it off later yeah yeah i mean you know i mean that's that's the addict who wants a hit saying i'll get you the money tomorrow and you know, he right. never intends to come back yeah. but yeah i mean why did austrian economics not win and keynesian economics won because keynesian economics serves the needs of the rulers and austrian economics serves the needs of the people so yeah. sorry people rulers rulers come <laughs> first if they didn't they wouldn't be rulers
1: yeah but i you know i, I think universalizing morality is an important exercise and you know i certainly have these conversations if like if someone's an atheist i don't sit there and try to like preach the bible at them because it just doesn't seem you know useful but if someone's a christian it's it's real easy for, for for me to kind of do what you're doing with you know like upb and just apply that to the stories in the bible i mean or even just the ten commandments i mean and you know and then there's you know scriptures that christians try to you know w- wiggle their way around to justify it but even those i think are misused like there's always the you know render unto Caesar what is Caesar's it's like okay well what is Caesar's is it anything he claims by force because what separates that from uh, a mugger on the street saying you know your, your your wallet or your life while he has a gun pointed to you because if we just if we just say you know it's like it's like if if something is Caesar's well then obviously you should give it to him but you have to you have to universalize that and go beyond like what how do you um do you have a sound of um foundation for what property rights are. So that's what I, I tell Christians is like if you're going to look at that passage like what is Caesar's is is anything Caesar just because he declares it by force and how do you separate that from from a mugger? Because to me if you can't, you know, justify that, you're um you're making an exception and and what they don't realize is that and I'm sure you know this, the reason the Pharisees asked Jesus that question was because they were trying to get him in trouble with the Romans because <laughs> the correct answer was You know, they were trying to get in trouble with the Romans or the Jews. He could have said, oh, don't pay to Caesar because the Jews didn't actually believe you were supposed to. That's why they talked about, you know, how much they hated tax collectors. Um, But they knew if he would have said that correct answer, they could have said, see, this guy is saying don't pay your taxes. So, (laughs) But Jesus gave a brilliant answer that cut through to the actual truth of the matter. Um, well, means- and who
0: knows what render means? I mean, I know what it means. It means give to people, but give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, if Caesar is nothing, then give him nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a very it's a very delicate and uh, open to interpretation answer, which I can completely understand why you'd give at the time then as in now.
1: Yeah. What other, I mean, I've heard you give, um, you know, some of these stories before, but like what, when you're looking at the Bible and, you know, what you know of it, what do you think are some of the most pertinent passages or stories that you think, uh, you know, kind of push the, a Christian to, if they're taking, you know, the, the, the biblical narrative consistently, to question the legitimacy of the state?
0: Right. Well, first of all, the focus on free will, which is free will and universality are the, the one-two punches to me that comes out of Christianity with regards to the state. A compelled action cannot be virtuous. Because that's the answer to the question of evil, right? The question the answer to the question of if there is God, why is there evil? Because there is free will, and if God were to force people not to be evil, they could not not be good, and virtue is the great gift that God gives us. And if He forcibly prevents us from being evil, or did not give us the capacity to be evil, there would be no virtue in being good. And He wants to recreate His love of virtue in us. I mean, I, I'm probably that's a bit of an outsider's perspective. But once we have the question of free will, then there is no such thing as a compelled virtue. Compelled virtue is a contradiction in terms. It's like lovemaking rape, up, down, (laughs) taxation as a social good, right? So once we understand that there can never be such a thing as a compelled virtue, then when people come along and say, well, we should have a redistributionist welfare state. Why? Because we care about the poor. And it's like, well, if you care about the poor, go and help the poor. Because man does not live by bread alone. Helping the poor does not mean giving them money any more than helping a drug addict is giving them money or helping an alcoholic is giving them money because most times they'll use it for bad effect. Helping the poor means getting down with them as Jesus did, conversing with them, finding out their issues, listening to their troubles, giving them spiritual and moral succor and salvation. And so this, the idea that you can help the poor by pointing a gun at someone, taking their money and handing it over to the poor is a monstrous idea, of course, and specifically it's not just anti-Jesus, it's not just anti-Christian, it's anti-theology as a whole in the entirety of the Christian universe. I mean, this is one of the signs that came after the flood, right, when God put the rainbow up and saying, well, that's it for compelled virtue or or compelled destruction of evildoers, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and all the rest. So I'm not going to drown wrongdoers. And this, of course, was Christ moving forward and saying you are responsible for your own decisions you are responsible for your own sins and it is accomplished is the universality of the sacrifice the break with Judaism the break with other religions has always been with for me with Christianity the universality of the morality it is not a tribal group it is not an in-group preference a Christian unlike many other religions owes the highest moral standards to non-Christians as much as Christians, and that universality is philosophical in its intent, the fact that you can never, ever compel virtue. To compel virtue is to create a slave and an evildoer, the slave being the person who's compelled and the evildoer being the one who's compelling him. And so if there is no such thing as compelled virtue, then the state cannot achieve anything moral by pointing against the people that can only expand evil.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think people often, especially the progressive Christians, like to ignore the... The parts of jesus's teachings were that were very focused on personal responsibility i mean jesus literally said if your hand causes you to sin cut it off i mean it doesn't get much more radical in the personal responsibility camp than that um you know and when he said what you've done unto the least of these you've done unto me he said what you've done not what you've you know contracted third-party muggers to rob from peter to pay to paul you know what i mean it's so Um, And also the fact that, sorry
0: to interrupt, but the fact that human beings are fallible, Hmm. and not just fallible but fallen, it really I think depends on, on how far you go along the original sin continuum, but the idea that humans are never perfectible, and it's funny too because atheists and Darwinians should have this as a stronger idea, but they don't, because atheism and Darwinism is so often used to justify totalitarianism of both the fascist and the communist side. And so for some reason purely fallible and corrupted and and self-interested and mammals like mammals who just like want to spread their seed and get resources and make babies and you know eat and like somehow they're perfectible in a moral sense you can get the new communist man or the new fascist man who's just perfect and only labors for the betterment of others and has no vestigial mammalian impulses like the the atheists create this perfectibility of human beings and the christians are like no 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 No, absolutely not. The Christians understand evolution in this sense a lot better than the atheists do, because evolution would specifically say human beings evolved to be the apex predator because we prefer our own advantage, we prefer the advantage of those genetically similar to us, and we're willing to sacrifice anyone and everything to advance our lineage, to advance our genetics, to advance our ideology, perhaps. And so the Christians look at the fallen nature of man and this to me would be identical to darwinian evolution it's not a moral process it's a uh kill or be killed process it's an advantage disadvantage process it's an in-group preference process it's certainly not a universal process at all and so the christians in the fallen state are much closer to what the darwinians should accept and the darwinians should be purely purely anarchic because they recognize that human beings seek power power is a literal drug human beings you get more dopamine the more higher up you get we're addicted to power no human being can handle it because we're animals we're not spiritual beings in the darwinian view we're not spiritual beings who are perfectible so the christians much more accurately identify the corrupt nature of humanity and the darwinians who should accept it based on evolution somehow vault over it and often support this perfectibility argument that justifies totalitarianism that's nuts and so One of the things that I've loved, that Jesus said, is, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. It's amazing. You could spend like a year just mulling over that one, which is, to me, a lot to do with the the, the anti-vanity that is so essential for human progress. Humility, humility, moral humility. Anybody who comes to you and says, I'm going to take a trillion dollars and help the poor is dealing with such a level of moral vanity and hubris that it, it almost staggers the imagination. And so let he who's without sin cast the first stone means you must be moral for yourself, right? And the you know, why are you so concerned about the speck of dust in your brother's eye and ignore the giant log in your own or the beam in your own? Deal with your own issues, deal with your own morality first. And then maybe, maybe, maybe you can inspire other people. But yeah, this idea yeah. that that we have this elite group of intellectuals and and power mongers who can survive their own corruption can survive the abuse of power and can ha- have such moral hubris that they can point guns at hundreds of millions of people move trillions of dollars around in a perfectly moral manner well I mean that kind of vanity it was specifically de- targeted and punctured by Jesus which is again one of the reasons why there's been so much moral progress in Christian nations because that humility uh, and the imperfectibility means you always have something to reach for
1: yeah well even even Jesus uh refused political power or, 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 you know, in the, in the desert when Satan said, you know, these kingdoms of of men, you know, they're, they're mine to give to you to command and and Jesus refused it there, which is a, I think a really, uh, beautiful demonstration. Part of the reason in in like the religious sense that Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah was they were looking to the Messiah to be some kind of political savior, to be someone who's going to claim, you know, power, take back, you know, uh, beat back Rome, rebuild the kingdom of Israel. and. Uh, Jesus had a way of cutting through people's expectations and pointing them, you know, to, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of uh, lessons on time preference in the Bible, I think, and, and not being so focused on like the here and now and the immediate consequences of things. And like, hey, think about, you know, what, what are the consequences of, of seizing political power? What you're doing is just, um, you, you, what you, when you do that, when you force those things on people, what you're doing is you're going to create, you know, backlash. I mean, look at what's going on in the Middle East right now. I mean, all the all the warnings that Ron Paul gave over the last, you know, two decades, and all the Austrians libertarians about what happens when you try to go and force, you know, through through conquest, through uh, de- de- democracy building, and all that, you know, force your political views upon other people. Um, you know that that just inevitably creates backlash. Well, so, I
0: mean, of course. Uh... Uh, Washington, D.C. has just about the highest murder rate in America, and the idea that congressmen, politicians, and senators can't even remotely fix the city that they actually live in, yeah. where they're under the same laws, they have virtually ultimate power, they speak the same language, they have the same cultural and religious history, they can't even stop people killing each other at the about the highest rate right outside the windows of the Capitol. But don't worry, folks. <laughs> They can go to Afghanistan, a completely foreign country and culture, speak different language, completely oppositional in many ways, theological history. And they can totally turn that into a paradise. They can't fix Washington, but they can totally fix Afghanistan. And, of course, 20 years later, all they did was they produced a gain-of-function Taliban with new weaponry. So, I mean, yeah, that's the hubris that's really quite mad.
1: Yeah. So something you said earlier I wanted to touch on a bit, too. You said one of the things about religion that you think— um, about Christianity specifically that, you know, kind of di- causes Christians to diverge when it comes to looking at political power, uh, from, from maybe the, the atheists or the secularists, um, is, is the, um, understanding the fallibility or the fallen nature of, of man. And I, I certainly think that's part of it. And I think it, it, you know, as a Christian, you should be skeptical of the utility, like the, um, effectiveness of central planning because of knowing how, uh, corruptible and, and fallen man is, uh, I think another element I wanted to, to hear your thoughts on this um, is that, like, I, like I really love universal preferably uh, universally preferable behavior. Like, I think it's a like I don't think you can um, prove it wrong. I mean, I think the the person who gave it like the the biggest shot was a uh, rationality rules, and um, he couldn't even do it. Um, and oh, yeah. Sorry. For those
0: who don't know, he put a whole series of videos out of yeah. attacking it. And great. You know, let's let's polish it up. Let's let's sharpen the sword. So we had a debate wherein um, he fully accepted the four proofs that rape, theft, assault and murder can never be universally preferable behavior. And after that, it's like, yeah, he can say all he wants, but it's like, <laughs> OK, so we're on the same page. Yeah.
1: But I think the one thing he and other people have said is just like, well, and, and this is where I think religion gives a utility to to, to the universal uh, morality subject is, is a lot of people will just go well what if I don't care what if I just want to re- like I don't have any argument against you I just I just reject you out of hand and there's nothing compelling me to take this seriously when I'm just gonna act on like you said the 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 dopamine rush of of central planning and wanting to seize power and wanting to push my my uh, my beliefs on others whereas and this isn't to say that there aren't Plenty of examples of Christians who have who have also fallen short on this, but I think there's a uh, more of a emphasis on Christians to care about wanting morality to be universalized because uh, the idea of God being the the, the lawgiver and the and the idea of there being more of a I don't know like a metaphysical imperative for morality to be um, universalized. I mean, is that would you agree with that? Or I mean, I'm I'm just curious what your thoughts are.
0: Yeah, so. UPB, like Christian theology, can't compel you to be good or to accept it or to believe in it. What UPB targets are abstract moral and political theories that justify the use of violence against usually disarmed citizens. UPB won't protect you from a mugger because you can protect yourself from a mugger. UPB will protect you from the state UPB will protect or would have protected the quarter of a billion people murdered by their own governments in the 20th century alone. UPB takes aim at Communism, at fascism, at socialism, at our slow suicide of democracy based upon money printing. UPB takes aim at central banking justifications for counterfeiting on a massive intergenerational scale. So UPB is like the big gun that takes on the weapons of mass destruction in the intellectual world, which are the justifications for state power. Now, again, there will be individual people in a truly free society. Maybe they were raised really badly. Maybe they just had bad genes. Maybe they got a brain tumor and they'll be violent and they'll steal from you. And But here's the thing. You can get a security system. You can hire a security guard. You can be armed. You can protect yourself. But you cannot protect yourself against the state. I mean, you if somebody wants to come and steal from you, they have to take the personal risk of you fighting back. How is my daughter supposed to protect herself against the half million dollars of debt she was born into? Mm. Some guy wants to come and steal from you? A half million dollars or however much you've got. If somebody wants to come and steal from you, hey, you might be armed, you might have a security guard, you might have an alarm system, you might have a rapid response team, you might have booby traps, I don't know, it might be somewhere else. So And and you might shoot him for coming into your house without permission while armed, right? So UPB says, look, of course there's free will. Of course people can choose evil. But society, and particularly individuals, can handle other individuals who choose evil. But if a state turns ugly on you, if a state starts incarcerating and imprisoning you, if a state goes communist or fascist or national socialist... That's where your real problem is. So, I guess you could say that UPP takes aim at heart disease and cancer, but whether you walk out or not is up to you. <laughs> if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, uh, what I was getting at is just I feel like there's still just too many, uh, you know, uh, like the utility of religion is that it it, it, com- it not compels is the wrong word it incentivizes people to. Uh, I guess to care more about the morality argument, where there's a lot of statist atheists, you know, or secular people, agnostics, whatever, that just, like, you push them, like, look at, like, you're not being consistent, and they just sh- shrug it off, like, it's, well, I don't care, like, why do I need to be consistent? <laughs> it's just like, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what I, you know, and, and this isn't, like, there's plenty of atheists in the, like, you know, I'm involved in here in the United States, here in the, like, our, our libertarian party, and and there's plenty of 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 atheists and and secular people that you know we get along great and i've I've tried to you know like we've talked like i talked about earlier i'm no longer fighting with them and uh, to some extent i've had to do the reverse to say you know when they come after me for being religious to be like hey friendly fire we're on the same team here you know what i mean so let's let's get back to you know actually going like you know my my god isn't your problem right now You're, you're the god <laughs> we should be focused on is the uh <laughs> the one we, we, we we've
0: got <laughs> we've got the two c's here you can choose from two c's one christianity the other communism now christianity will let you live christianity will maybe maybe you'll hear some church bells <gasps> right? right maybe yeah. maybe there'll be some Um, Christianity is the the best hymns ever I was in the church choir and all that right so I love the hymns right Mm. Christianity's got beautiful Christmas music Christianity you know you can have Santa Claus Saint Nick no problem right and and if you want to come you want to go no problem oh also we'll be we'll be taking food baskets to the hungry uh, and we will be, be giving out blankets to the homeless and you know if if even if you're not a Christian if you're home alone and lonely some people will come by and chat with you and bring you some fruitcake you know, that, that, so that's, that's your Christianity these days, right? On the other hand, you've got your communism. Now, communism is a mass-murdering psycho ideology that kills hundreds of millions, well, 100 million people plus just in the 20th century alone. And that's just straight-up murder, not even just people who, who were incarcerated in these gulags for decades and, and people who um, couldn't get married and, and couldn't have any economic advancement, depressed and drunk their whole lives, right? They, so that you've got your two Cs. And and th- there's no third choice. <laughs> there's no third choice. I thought. See, I thought. Okay, so theology. I got some rational issues with it. Christian. I mean, communism. Straight up insane. Right. Straight up insane and evil. Right. So I thought. Okay. Well. So we'll just you know clear aside Christianity, and then we'll 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 go at the communism. Right. And uh, <laughs> t- turns out, <laughs> turns out it was a bit of an error. Bit of an error. Because when I grew up, my friends who were atheists not communists, right? But what happened was, of course, the communists view Christianity as what stands between them and the power that they want, because Christianity is focused upon no compelled virtues, and and if you force people, and, and also Christianity deals with the problem of vanity, right? So what, what communists do is they say, all differences in outcomes are the result of exploitation. If you make more money than me, you've stolen from me. And even Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, the, the astrophysicist, or whatever the hell he is, was was tweeting about, oh, the British Empire, one principle. Oh, you have it? It's now ours, right? Like, yeah, because, you know, heaven forbid we ended slavery around the world and heaven forbid we bought um, modern medicine and railroads and roads and the internal combustion engine and better farming techniques and so on, right? Uh, And yeah, there was evils done in the British Empire, absolutely, but compared to other empires, would you rather live under the Ottoman Empire or under the British Empire? And anybody who says the Ottoman is, uh, well, not to be taken even remotely seriously. So they say all the differences in, in outcomes is just the result of theft and exploitation. And because there always will be differences in outcome because of the bell curve in a variety of ways, IQ, talents, you name it, there will always be differences in outcomes. And so they'll never solve the problem. And then, of course, they say, well, differences in outcomes is really bad. So we'll create one political class that has massive universal power over everyone else. It's like, isn't that a difference? Isn't that a big difference in outcome in terms of your capacity to use political power? No, no, we don't ask that question. That's not not important. Just keep moving. Just submit and obey. So Christianity deals with the difference in group outcomes by saying, and I paraphrase here, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. What treasures you accumulate here on earth, your treasure is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you are low now, you will be high later. The meek shall inherit the earth and you get to go to heaven, which is infinitely more important than having an extra camel in the here and now or a bigger house or whatever, right? So Christianity, by focusing people on virtues and the end goal, I had A Christian friend of mine and I—I I just did a video where I talked about my 500-year business plan. He said, "That's good, as a start, but your business plan should not be 500 years or a thousand years or ten thousand years. It should be eternity." <laughs> right? And and like yeah, that's that's very very well phrased, right? So unless you can deal with the problem of envy, where the the poor people who are often poor because they're not so smart or or you know they just don't have the X factor that helps you generate wealth, that mystery Pareto principle that just some people have this golden touch when it comes to the generation of wealth and opportunity. If you have, oh, there'll be poor people, and Jesus says, the poor will always be with us. An attempt to eradicate the poor will eradicate humanity as a whole, and, and the poor will always be with us. And so Christianity says to the poor, your treasure is in heaven, Living a simple life is a great way to avoid the temptations of power because with money comes power and authority, and with power and authority comes corruption and abuse. And that's is why the rich of that time, right? Why, who were the rich of the time? They weren't Steve Jobs. They were slave owners in general. So, of course, they said, you know, slave owners don't get into heaven because they abuse their slaves and take away their free will and so on. So unless we can deal with the problem of envy, we can't have a civilization because sophists will always come along to the people who are less fortunate, who are, who are making less money, and they'll always come along and they'll say, hey, you know that guy up on the hill, that jerk with the pretty wife and the two cars and, and, and the, the mansion? He's only wealthy because he stole from you, and he stole from everyone around you, and he stole from all these poor people, and he stole from your ancestors, and you just rouse up the mob, and then the rob go up and they, they take everything from the rich guy and everyone ends up broke. And starving, because nobody ever wants to accumulate any resources or invest in anything or create anything good or lasting. And you go and steal from the farmer and the farmer stops growing for you. And you go and steal from the guy who creates jobs, he stops creating jobs for you. And so unless you can deal with the wedge issue of the poor versus the wealthy. And, and you know, the, the Austrian guy says, hey, you want the wealthy guy to have Money because he's the best able to maximize resources and produce wealth and so he's gonna lift you up he's like you know you, you want the rich guy with the ten thousand dollar cell phone so you can end up with a cell phone that costs 80 bucks and can call India for nothing right so Austrian economics unfortunately has not dealt with this problem and so when you take theology and and virtue and having a higher goal than the accumulation of material resources, that your treasure is in heaven, not here, then everybody says, okay, death is the ceiling, death is it. So i got to get stuff in a Darwinian sense while I'm here. And if joining a mob to rob the rich guy is the way I get stuff, I will do it. And you can see this all the time, right? I mean, you can see hyenas, they all gang up on the lion and take his kill away from him because there's more of them, right, if, if there's more. And so Christianity allows for disparities in wealth by reminding people not to envy the rich man. The communists use disparities in wealth to rouse the resentment and rage of the mob and destroy society so they can take over. And again, it's Christianity versus communism. There is no other option at the moment. And so given my fear and loathing of communism, it's like, yes, take me to church, brother.
1: Yeah, well, Christianity has uh, spelled out room for the people who are non-Christians. The communists don't quite have the uh, the, the spelled out room for the non-communists, un- unfortunately. Oh, oh, they
0: have a room for the non-communists. <laughs>
1: oh, they do. They do have a room. It's very small
0: <laughs> and tends to be uh, full of, of no food.
1: Right, yeah. Not a good room to be in. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. I think the kingdom of heaven is is almost, and the focus on eternity is, is again, it's kind of like, it's a foil to having a high time preference and, 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 and having a sense of, of desperateness or um, defeat in your, in your spirit attitude, just because you're on the lower end of the, the economic, uh, you know, totem pole, so to speak. So I think that, I think that's all very spot on. Um, I wanted to get, uh, we have some, some uh, commenters, people who are asking questions, but also before I got to those, um, wanted to spend a few minutes also because you talked about at the beginning of the uh the episode how you've been you know uh deplatformed very uh very successfully by uh most major platforms and uh yeah I gotta tell you when I um and I was expecting this when I announced I was having you on the um the usual very loud very annoying people were uh you know <gasps> made it yeah <laughs> made it made it known and I don't know I'm 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 growing tired of um you know. Part of the decision to have you on was that I, uh, you know, don't want to cater to those kind of people. And if anything, I remember when Tom Woods had you on, he was just like, you know, actually, the more you guys tell me not to talk to people, the more I'm like, actually, that's a guy I probably want to talk to. So, you know, that's that's kind of where my attitude has been. Um, but, you know, what what is it with um, with people? Uh, what do you think it comes from where there's, you know, the people primarily on the left who just don't seem willing to. I don't know, like agree to disagree with stuff? I mean, there's things that I, even here in this conversation already, like, you know, we have some disagreements on religion. You have had some takes in the past, like, you know, I'm, I'm more of an open borders guy. You've, you know, at least in, I don't know where you are exactly now, but in more recent years, you've been more of a, you know, controlled or closed border guy. Um, I've disagreed with you on, on various takes throughout the years, which, you know, but to me, it's like, that's to be expected. Like, we're not always going to agree. And I don't want to cancel people or be offended by things they say, even if, even if something someone says, I find to be like, you know, wow, that was, you know, uh, you know, maybe initially I might, I might go, I I don't like that, but I don't, uh, to me, it's like getting offended about it doesn't get me anywhere. Like it's just, it's like, cool. I'm offended by that. But okay. If it's wrong, I should be able to argue why it's wrong. If I can't argue why it's wrong. Well, maybe I need to reconsider, you know, my, my uh, initial offense to it. What do you think is the source of all this, and and why, uh, you know, some people, especially, it's one thing when the statists get get mad, but there's people who call themselves libertarians who uh, <laughs> go around. I mean, you've heard it all. I mean, they, you're you 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 uh, you're a white nationalist eugenicist who wants to go around and you know uh, enslave all the women and make them reproduce for us. So it's, I mean, it's it, it's crazy the things that people make up about you, and I'm just like, ah, dude, like. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, the the level of lies is the level of truth, right? I mean, if if you speak important truths, then people will lie. So as as to where this comes from, I'll use an analogy that's very current day. So I don't know if you've heard this theory about immune systems and hyper-cleanliness, right? So for a year and a half, people have been socially distanced, they've been inside for the most part, they've been masked, they've been sanitizing their hands to the point where they can probably disinfect the toilet just by peeing on it. and the, the cons, one of the concerns is, not specific to COVID, but one of the concerns, of course, is that if you live in a hyper-clean environment and you don't get any workout from your immune system, like I was reading this article about who, people who bite their nails have better immune systems because they're constantly getting germs from their, like, so your immune system needs a workout, right? So then what happens is when your immune system encounters a virus in the wild, whether it's COVID or, you know, it could be anything, it could be, I don't know, measles or or, um, a cold or a flu or something like that, right? Then what happens is your body will overreact to it. Not to the point, perhaps, of cytokine storm, but your body will overreact to it because it hasn't had anything to do. And so it hasn't got any exercise. And it's sort of like if you don't exercise for a long time and then you try and lift a couch, you're going to hurt your back because you have no muscle mass there anymore. And so the way that you keep kids healthy is... You let them play in the dirt. You, you know, you yeah. let them uh, go drink lake water. You let them be exposed to the world. One of the reasons why I think kids, you know, they, the whole issue with like peanut butter, peanut allergies and so on. I mean, some of it seems to have to do with these sort of hyper clean, wash your hands, sanitize everything, even before COVID, right? The sort of hoverbot mom helicopters that keep everyone clean and tidy and all that. It's kind of short sighted. I mean, I grew up, uh, we just roamed everywhere and, you know, we drink from the stream and, and you know, <laughs> whatever, right? And, uh, you know, if it passes a sniff test or it's on the floor for less than three days, you can probably still eat it, right? So, uh, fairly robust then as, as an adult. I mean, I shook off cancer, fortunately, very, very easily, or at least relatively easily. So, I think what, the analogy that I think it's important is that censorship produces this very hyper-reactive immune system of the mind. In other words, I grew up being exposed continually to contrary opinions all the time. My friends and I debated all the time. I was a a capitalist in a sea of socialists, and and, uh, this happened everywhere I went. I mean, I was in the art world, I was in academia, I did a master's degree, and I was just continually being bombarded with ideas that weren't just different, but oppositional and sometimes morally oppositional to mine. I took a whole course taught by a Marxist on the rise of capitalism and the socialist response, and 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 it was just like battle, battle, battle. And so, to me, disagreement is like, it's like germs. The average germ for a kid who grew up in the country, like, who cares? So you don't even notice it, right? So, but kids who grow who grow up without debate, without arguments, without these kinds of oppositions, when they encounter a different argument, their immune system of the mind, their hysteria kind of goes nuts. And this is one of the things, when you begin to pare down discussions in society, you make people hysterical when they come across opposing ideas and arguments, which is kind of what happened with me, right? Like, I interviewed 17 world-round experts on human intelligence talking about group differences and IQ, because it's kind of important. Because, you know, if we're going to have a whole bunch of different ethnicities live together, it's real nice if we turn to some science to explain some of these group differences otherwise we're gonna end up in a civil war which is really bad for everyone so maybe we can get some science in here to talk about these differences and cool the conversation down a little bit you know I think it was a noble quest I think it was the right thing to do I regret absolutely nothing but of course because you know one of the most successful psyops in the history of the world is the suppression of 100 years worth of IQ data right It's, it's amazing it's so essential to understanding the world and 99% 99% of people have never even heard about it. And, and so when you keep ideas away, when you keep essential arguments and facts away from people, when they encounter them, it's like some kid in a bubble getting his first cold. His immune system goes insane. It, it completely overreacts. And that's the thing. We haven't immunized our hysteria with constant exposure to good arguments from alternative perspectives, and of course, it's always kind of ironic when the left, which claims to love diversity, encounters an idea they don't, they don't like. They just try and smash it with a hammer. Uh, that does not appear overly diverse to me, at least. And so, I think keeping people away from contrary arguments and ideas. You read the media; it's all you know. It's all just one big wall of like one guy writing the same article twenty thousand different times. And so, people just aren't getting exposed to challenging ideas. They're not getting exposed to counter narratives. And so when they do get exposed to them, they freak out and, and can't reason and feel this existential panic in the same way your immune system freaks out if you've lived in a bubble your whole
1: life. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And it's just, to me, it's silly. And like, you know, the whole race and IQ stuff, I mean, that's the people get the, the most triggered about that. And to me, it's like, all right, well, it, it, people have come to me, like friends of mine who, who, are, who were like, okay, but, but Mom, who's wrong about that? And like, there's all these scientific people in the science community who have, said his stuff is debunked. I'm like, all right, well, like, you know, the guy had a Colin show and, and a podcast for years. So like if you had information that you think proved things he was saying wrong, then like what's the scientific or rational response? Is it to racist, right? White, you know I mean? And, and, freak out. Or is it like, you know, reach out in a civil manner to be like, Hey, uh, Stefan, I uh, uh, listened to your podcasts. You've said these things. I think that that's wrong for these reasons. Maybe we can have a dialogue and, and conversation about it. Oh, yes, yeah, set me right. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah.
0: <laughs> if, if I'm wrong about something, I always appreciate it. But here's the thing, too. I mean, there's a reason I interviewed all of these experts, like tops of their fields, uh, editors of magazines, uh, well-regarded scientific journals on intelligence, because I'm not a scientist. I'm not a scientist. Uh, I, I am not a geneticist. I'm not a biologist. And so it's funny. It always strikes me as kind of odd. When I interview a bunch of people, and I interviewed people who accepted it uh, as as a valid difference but said it was all environmental fantastic i interviewed people who said you know we don't know iq is 80 percent genetic by mid-teens it's hard to say maybe it's a little bit more genetic i don't know i'm not a geneticist i'm not a psychologist i can't answer these things but it's really important information for us to debate it really is because otherwise it's a massive wedge issue that the left is going to use literally to destroy our societies so what i found kind of interesting and and really sad is that I get all these emails saying, you're wrong! And it's like, what are you talking about? I interviewed the guy. I will give you his email. You can email him, don't shoot the messenger. Like, the fact that people would identify these arguments with me when I'm just interviewing, right, it's like if I interview Luciano Pavarotti in his prime, are people going to say to me, well, Steph can't sing! It's like, well, I'm the interviewer! (laughs) I'm not the singer! So why would people get mad at me for interviewing people from a wide variety of perspectives? A wide variety of perspectives. They weren't all on the same page because it's a, it's a hot topic and it's a tricky topic. But why people would then, it's, it's really cowardly and, and kind of sad to identify it with me when I'm the guy just doing the interviews and asking some questions and it's all the experts who are expounding upon their 20 years of research or 40 years of, of, of publications and so on. To identify it with me when I'm just the guy who interviewed 17 leading experts in this field and to completely ignore the leading experts and just somehow pin it on me, it's intellectual cowardice and and really pathetic. Like if if you don't want to talk about a topic, then shut up about the topic, but don't make up some nonsense. Like the eugenicist thing, it's kind of, I mean, it's just wild. I remember hearing that, Steph's a eugenicist. It's like, wait, I'm an anarchist. How can I approve of any kind of government program? And it actually came out of a podcast I did many years ago where uh, I said, We to clean up the breeding
1: ground of the human race. Yeah, breed. yeah, yeah. we
0: got to clean up We're the breeding ground out. of the species. I, I was talking about pedophiles and child abusers. Like, right. you've got to keep pedophiles and child abusers away from your children, and suddenly I'm Hitler. And it's just like, come on. I mean, like, everybody knows that everybody the left dislikes gets quoted out of context. And if you repeat those quotes you are a terrible human being like you are you're a terrible you've just joined an ugly mob to do an ugly thing and and again if you don't want to look up the full context fine shut up about it but if you go around repeating this stuff without no you know you know for an absolute anybody who saw trump for four years knows exactly how much the left takes things out of context and pumps a narrative like the fine people hoax and oh trump told people to drink bleach or oh, like you well, know was, yeah. you know they lie about everything and take everything out of context and if you repeat those lies you are now a sinner in the same way but with less excuse because at least i think the left denies that they lie but you know that they lie and you're still out there repeating lies that is an absolutely terrible thing to do for which redemption is a tough path
1: yeah no i'm, I'm- I'm thankful for Trump and even though I I've, I've never been a huge fan of him and I think you you supported him more than than I really cared for but I appreciate him because that was part of what got me out of the left like again I voted for Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in 2016 because partly because I was a leftist partly because I was just scared that Trump was everything the left said he was then a year later I was like well I still don't like the guy but uh all these you know claims that are coming up to be lies I just kind of can't ignore. And I started to see the insanity of the people around me that were on, especially after like once Trump got in, then the, the insanity on the left accelerated. And suddenly I found myself, you know, just kind of left in the abyss kind of like, okay, well, I'm not following them into crazy land, so I'm going to go explore new new ideas and stuff. And uh, that's where, that's where I ended up. And yeah, you know, I, I think like, yeah, it's, it's silly. I think you, I don't want to spend too much time, you know, catering or talking, about the people who go go crazy about you. I mean, I, I have some disagreements about you on all this stuff. Like on. on well, if it's any Cuba. consolation,
0: I have disagreements with me about <laughs> stuff as yeah. well. I mean, I don't have the same opinions now as 16 years ago. That would be sad.
1: Right, yeah. And it's just like to me, it's a lot more fun and interesting to just be like, okay, like even if I disagree with somebody, like, hey, let's talk about where we agree. We can also talk about where we disagree. That seems to be just, I don't know, like regular human – Behavior, like regular civil that Well, that's,
0: that's civilization, right? So, civilization. A, narcissist, a narcissist cannot tolerate oppositional opinions because they want to exploit you. And if they allow you to be different from them and they recognize your humanity, they can't exploit you. So, when somebody can't handle disagreements or attacks disagreements, it's because they want to exploit someone and they need to dehumanize them by stripping them of opinions and thought. So it is an extremely dangerous thing to be around people who attack you for disagreeing with them because it means that they're going to rape your life in some economic, financial, or other manner. And it's a very, very big warning sign of a significant predator in your midst.
1: Yeah. You know, like, you know, one, I, I wanted to push, like, so the stuff with the COVID passports going on right now, and, you know, it's, it's a big deal. People act like, oh, that's not going to come down the pipeline. But, but, you know, to me, that seems to be, Inevitably, where things are headed, and I, well, that's I not where they're were- going to end, though, right? You no, know, the COVID oh, well, those, passport's yeah.
0: just going to turn into a social credit score. Where yeah. if you tweet something they don't like, you won't be able to use your bank account for a week. Or if, if you say something that goes against a particular narrative, you won't be able to fill your gas or fly on a plane for a month. I mean, you you know that this is this isn't of course where it's heading. I mean, this is they don't stop there. It's giving you a digital ID that permits you rights based upon compliance to the state it's a digital id that gives you rights based upon compliance to the state and do you think if you think it's going to stop there i don't even know what i mean not you would but if anybody who's hearing this if you think it's going to stop there i don't know what to tell you it's like you got to read some history
1: yeah i am curious though like and again this is coming from a place of good faith um like part of the reason i am for open borders is the same reason i am and when i say i'm for open borders it's like in a here and now because i'm an austrian anarcho capitalist i want private property rights and the only legitimate borders are private property borders so like you know that that should go without saying but in the here and now it's like as much as i like i agree open borders is a compromise and it's not the actual libertarian solution but i just don't want to give the state more power than it has to control the movement of people whether it's people coming in or people coming out so even if there's you know, negative consequences to that, it's like, to me, it's the same argument against COVID passports. Like, you know, COVID, I had COVID. It was not a particularly fun uh, virus to catch, but, you know, I survived. Um, How long did you, uh, tell me a little bit about,
0: sorry, if you don't mind, what was your experience there?
1: Oh, it was, it was pretty rough because I have asthma. So it it hit my asthma hard. And I contemplated going to the hospital a couple of times because my rescue inhaler was doing nothing and it was was, because it's like the elephant sitting
0: on your chest like you can't get a breath
1: right yeah it was it was brutal i mean two to three weeks and then even after that when i kind of got over it i had a lingering cough and just and and you know my i didn't get too much of the losing my my taste and smell but you know a little bit of that and it it's now i think i think i got it back in september by christmas i was maybe 80 percent back to normal And now I'm about 100 percent back to normal. But it took a while to get over. So it's like I don't take covid lightly at the same. So it's like when people are talking about, you know, lockdowns, mask mandates, covid passports. To me, it's like they can justify them based upon, well, we don't like state tyranny, but we have to justify it in this case because of the negative ramifications. So I'm I'm just curious, you know, again, from a good place of good faith, you know, Hmm. pushback on your position uh, do you see any contradiction there or do, do you think that th- there's things I'm not not considering that would you know, for, for reasons for why you would still be against the COVID passports and the things coming after that, but be uh, for, at least in the here and now, some form of, of stronger immigration. Because people say, oh he can't be an anarchist. And they say this about Dave Smith, and I, I love Dave Smith. They're like, he's not an anarchist or libertarian because he's for closed borders. I'm like, guys they're, they're talking about strategy in the here and now. So even if I disagree with them that doesn't mean they're not anarcho-capitalist just because they're saying, yeah, we agree re- on the end conclusion, but we have different ideas about how to get there. To me, that's just a disingenuous attack. But I do th- I do worry about cl- uh, closed borders because to me, that's just like, you know, giving the state that kind of power, especially the way things are headed. Like, can you imagine COVID passports and a wall that doesn't let people out? Because to me, that's like, that's a little scary.
0: <laughs> mm. I like how we're going to go for an hour and you beat the big, biggest question up right at the end. That's fine. That's fine. So... <laughs> Look, it's 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 a pretty standard libertarian argument that you can have open borders, so you can have a welfare state. You can't have both. I don't care where people live. I don't care where people live. What I do care is people who come and swell the welfare rolls, which is generally the case in America. Three quarters of of immigrants end up on welfare. So that's just a matter of self protection for your wallet, right? If if you have people pouring into the country who are driving up the debt and tax burden on you and your family, then it's a matter of protection and, and self-defense for your money uh, to to try and stop or slow that. Uh, that That's, to me, I, I'm not sure what the controversy is. The vast majority of people in America want vastly reduced or no immigration for an indefinite period of time. I mean, sure. that, that, that's that's sure. just
1: the way it is. And that's because...
0: Well, I mean, there's a whole variety of Even Joe Biden
1: and Kamala Harris want want to stop the uh, immigration coming in.
0: (laughs) Right. So when people come for freedom, which was the 19th century in America, when there was no welfare state, people came for freedom. All right. But when people come for free stuff, then, you know, it's like if you if you have employees who are productive in your company, you probably want to keep them. If you have employees who are unproductive or maybe walking out with a couple of staplers, you know, probably not so great. Right. So. The way the system is set up right now, there is a collective purse that people can come from that ends up accruing to individual losses, right? And people are like, uh, okay, so people are coming in, they're costing vastly more than they're producing, and that's a a problem. And and, And so the idea that people shouldn't have the right to try and close borders to protect their... Uh, income, to protect their assets, to protect their the debt their children would be labored under, uh, when you have a system which is supposed to reflect the will of the people, I think that's a fair argument to make. Now, no welfare state, I don't care. You know, then it's a, in a purely free society, there would be no enforcement of these kinds of things from any centralized coercive environment. It would be a matter of social negotiation and so on, which is I think is great and exactly how it should be. But... I mean, come on. I mean, the country nominally is owned by the people and by the voters and the people who pay the bills do have a right to call some of the shots. And if they find that immigration is costing them a huge amount of money, and that's just one of the issues. But let's just say talk about the money, then wouldn't I mean, if somebody was coming into your house and taking your stuff, wouldn't you close the door? I mean, and, and you say, well, the country is not in. But that's the way the system is currently set up. Is that the taxpayers and the voters are supposed to control the country, which they own collectively through the power of the state? And so, if people are allowed to shut their doors, you know, if if you, if someone, if you have a dinner party and somebody's, uh, you know, causing a lot of trouble, or you're having a pool party and someone's peeing in the pool, you can right say, please don't be here, right? Uh, or if somebody wants to come over, you know, is trouble. You can say, please okay. don't don't come over. So, the, I, look, I'm again, I'm not a big fan of states or borders or anything like that. But given that people are facing a kind of collective um, pillaging of the public purse as a whole, and again, I'm not blaming any individual immigrants, a lot of them very productive, a lot of them wonderful people and so on. But you know, just looking at aggregate, I can understand why people would want to, say, put a pause on that while they uh, try and wrestle things sure. down. Because of course, yeah. the more people you bring into the country who are dependent upon the welfare state, the less likely it is to ever get rid of the welfare <laughs> state, right? I mean, except by total collapse, which would be a complete catastrophe.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I disagree with with it, but I understand where where the concern comes from. Well, what what do you disagree yeah. with? Well, I, I just is, it, disagree, is it a fact
0: or a conclusion that you disagree with?
1: I disagree with the conclusion. Like I I disagree, I, I disagree with the, like I, I agree with all your concerns. I, I just come like to me, my concerns about the power that you're ceding to the state and the way that'll be abused. Uh, to, no, to, but control sorry, of immigration.
0: You're ceding more power to the state with open borders.
1: Yeah, I've heard you say that before. I no, just, no, that's don't, not that's yeah. not an
0: opinion. That's that's a complete fact because most of the people who come in, particularly from South and Central America, or North America, if you can, Mexico, of course, the people who come in want more and more government, bigger and bigger government, more and more spending, and less and less free speech. So by by having open borders, you are bringing in populations that want more and more state power over you. So I don't like that's that's a false dichotomy to say, well, if we have open borders, I'm not ceding any power to the state. It's like Yes, you are, and, and much oh, more no, so true. than closed you, borders.
1: You, and again, like I said at the beginning, you're still giving the government that control over the border. It's a complicated issue, but I just, I don't know, something, maybe this is just more of a, like, a axiomatic, like, I just can't, you know, justify giving the state that power, even if, you know, that that comes with a cost. I'm not saying there isn't a cost to that. Um, I'm just worried about, I guess I see the potential hazards of the government having that power as being, you uh, greater than 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 what you do and but to me it's like uh, i see where you're coming from and also you know i'm involved in 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 the political arena here in the uh states i don't focus on immigration or going around trying to push for open borders because it's actually not that popular of an idea which is something that i do agree with you on which is people whether they're left or right a lot of them a lot of people on the left like to pretend they're for open borders but at the end of the day what the politicians that they vote for do is a lot of the same uh you know they they're not i mean they might let more in but they're uh, but they're still uh, at the end of the day enforcing a a, a closed border position well and i mean it's
0: all to some degree academic because there's no possibility of closing borders in the west uh, certainly not in in america there's no possibility of closing the borders in any conceivable time frame i mean I, I trump was voted in precisely for that mandate as a whole and was able to do very little. So uh, I mean, we can talk about it if we want. and, and I think there's interesting oh, no. arguments I mean, both I, ways. But the odds uh, of any of this I, uh, closed border stuff coming to pass or even maybe massively open borders, I don't know, but it would be very much a theoretical um, discussion yeah. because Trump was the, uh, was, the uh, was America's attempt to gain control over its own borders and to try and uh, find a way to reduce. The problems and pressures on the public purse through through mass immigration, right? And there's not going to be another Trump, right? I mean, even Trump, if he en- ends up running again in 2024, is not going to be another Trump. So, I mean, we can talk about it, but it, it is like oh, no, discussing I, I how crime is going yeah, to be handled a hundred years from now.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't want to you know stay on the issue too much longer. I I really wanted to just bring it up as a as a quick like, hey, here's a way that two people can agree on a lot, disagree on something, and I didn't call you a, a racist. So. Yeah, at, least not, at least not yet so. right right, and, well, and here's
0: the thing too I never of course ever talked about limiting immigration to particular races or anything like that There was nothing like that in anything I said so uh, ever so um, yeah I mean the, the racist thing is a complete non sequitur because um yeah I, I i a case can be made that that's all i'm saying and uh yeah
1: i i agree a case can be made and i think it's you know libertarians have been arguing about this for decades so to act like it's an easy equation is is certainly disingenuous i think on, on the behalf of other people not not something you're doing Do you have time for uh a few questions before we close out if they're snappy sure um uh let's see i wanted to roll back down here um Uh, What is your favorite book and favorite movie? That would be a cool thing to to get. Yeah,
0: I would say, I mean, my favorite book changes from time to time, Um, either Crime and Punishment or um, The Fountainhead. Uh, books that I love. My very favorite book is one that I've written. So my, my novel. I, I originally started as a novelist. People can get it for free. Uh, I'm a trained actor, by the way. I went a couple of years at the National Theatre School and uh, I narrate my own novels. And it's a uh, freedomain.com forward slash almost. Get this free novel. It's really, really great. But um and a favorite movie? Um it's an interesting combo. I said sort I of have a one two punch for this. Again, it changes from time to time. Um Room with a View, the moment Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, and I just, I've always loved that movie, and I love the book, and uh, Fight Club also was a movie that packed quite a wallop for me, because I was going through a, a stage of enormous psychological turmoil, plus insomnia, and I happened to go see this movie at just the right time, and it just left a huge boot print on my face and heart, and I actually have an entire uh, show where I discuss with an English professor all of the meanings behind Fight Club, so yeah, it's a very powerful movie, and, and I really liked it.
1: Interesting. one um, other question here, and uh, what would Stefan think is the uh, best approach to stop the growth of this st- uh, of the state um, or I- is there even uh, is that even a possibility at this point because I go back and forth between you know should we be engaged in, in damage control or should we you know is, is a collapse inevitable and should we be trying to build something that will last beyond it what a, a, a cryptocurrency being something that you know I know we're, we're both in, in involved in and looking at as being something that could do that so what, what are your thoughts there.
0: Yeah, three C's. We had two C's earlier. Three C's, crypto, community, and carrots, <laughs> right? So get, get some crypto, Uh, get get part of a good community, and learn how to grow some food or get some food. I think that's important. So <clears throat> there's kind of a race at the moment, right? So those of us who have been predicting, and I've been doing this for 40 years, many people have been doing it even longer. For those of us who've been predicting that statism doesn't work, people are beginning to get a whiff of this, right? So people are beginning to get a whiff that maybe Biden isn't the adult in the room who's finally come as Sam Harris takeover. I'm so relieved that there are finally adults in the room, right? Because he's produced the biggest geopolitical and military disaster in modern American history with the catastrophe of Afghanistan. So those of us who've been predicting negative things, bad outcomes, those bad outcomes are beginning to really manifest. Now... It's a race, because if our credibility gets elevated to the point where people will start listening to us, if we're no longer mad prophets, but wise soothsayers, okay, then maybe people will start listening and maybe there can be some changes. If people double down on ignoring the people who called it early, right? I mean, the fact that Israel, the most vaccinated state in the world, now has the highest per capita COVID cases ever, three times that of the US. Well, those of us who predicted that, maybe we can gain some credibility. Everybody else who didn't predict it, people got to make a choice. And you either choose the people who've been right or you choose the people who are being wrong. You either choose, choose the people who've suffered for being right or you choose the people who are being well paid for being wrong. And I can't make that choice for people. I can only be honest and open and show my sources and reveal my arguments and try and be as credible as possible. You have a choice to make between the people who are telling the truth and the people who are lying, between the people who are willing to reason with you and the people who will force you. You have a choice between the people who will use their words and the people who will use their swords. I can't tell which way society will go. And the only thing that I can say, and I hope this is the case for you, I'm sure that it is, and for the listeners as well. The only thing that I can say, which is going to be enough for me no matter what, I did everything I could. Yeah. I I left nothing behind. I left nothing in the scabbard when it came to the allegorical battle against these forces of darkness. And when you have spent 40 years, you know, 24 publicly, privately, 16 publicly, really fighting to get the truth across and to get reason, evidence and arguments across, to get philosophy and morality across. I don't know that there's many people who've done more than people like us. So Great. your conscience has to be clear because if you've withheld the truth, if you have avoided bringing honest facts and evidence to people, if you have left them in the dark out of fear, then the person most responsible for the disaster is you. Because mm-hmm. the evil people are just like machines at this point. They're just addicted yeah. to power. And so I never, ever wanted to look in the mirror and say, ah, you know, that Schindler's List ended. I could, could have done more of this. Okay. Watch, could have, right? I've never, yeah. that, that to me is a fate worse than death. Because I'm like, I'm only 55 this month. Right? I've seen a lot of these moral arcs in my life now. And I've seen what happens to people who betrayed their values and I've seen what happens to people who did not stand up for the truth now I've also seen people who stood way too high for the truth and got beheaded so you know you got to manage this a little bit but speak like they the truth
1: already. They, they barely missed.
0: yeah yeah yeah. so this the yeah, speak the truth and and no matter what happens the most important thing to preserve is your conscience and your good opinion of yourself because you have to live with yourself forever and ever and ever at least until you die for one of us and forever and ever for the other. So be on good terms with yourself. Courage, as Aristotle taught us, is the mean, right? An excess of courage is foolhardiness, and that is a bad thing. A deficiency of current courage is cowardice. Finding the mean is really tricky. It's like anger, right? You don't want to be never... Angry. You don't want to be always angry. You've got to find to be angry at the right. Getting angry is easy. Getting angry in the right way at the right time to the right effect is hard. Yeah. So manage what you do. Be honest within reasonably safe boundaries. And if the world is saved, you have great honor. And if the world is not saved, you have no dishonor. And that's really, I think, the best that you can hope for in these situations.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of the parable of the talents when Jesus, you know, he uh you know, he didn't get mad at the uh, the second servant who didn't make as much as the first one. He got mad at the third one who did nothing. And right. it would have been better if you would have tried and failed and lost the money than just to sit and do nothing. Right. So I think that's that's uh, very much true. La- last question, one on a on a very uh, controversial thing: cat or dog? You a cat or dog person? <laughs> oh gosh, that's tough.
0: That really is tough. I'm a duck person these days. I, don't I know, know if you've yeah. heard about it. you've seen. <laughs>
1: A she little does, bit of this. We, we we did that a few months before yeah. We my, oh my yeah. Literally, my wife said I have a surprise for you when you get home, which <laughs> I didn't know I was coming home to i I'm in saran wrap. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep.
0: They are they are absolutely lovely creatures. Like truly, lo- they're affectionate. They're friendly. They follow you around. They'll you can pet them. Oh, yeah. They're cuddle. They're they're just they're really lovely creatures. So I mean, pros and cons. I love dogs because they're smarter they're more social they you know you play with them more you can do tricks and so on but they kind of loud and they get up early and i'm not a morning person so uh, dogs would be a little tough for me although all other things being equal i prefer them you know cats quieter more cuddly more relaxing you can get that zen purring state going and so on but you know they kind of like throw pillows with legs for most of the day they don't really do that much so um, I, to me, it's 50 50 and the tiebreaker is is now for me permanently the ducks. It's not the first pet we've had, but man, it is the one that has brought the most pleasure without a doubt. And they grow like insanely. You saw this too, right? Like you get them this big, and like three weeks later, like bah! like that Nazgul is the next stage, I think.
1: Oh, it was so cool. Our um, we had a boy and a girl, and they were a mallard. So we got to see the boy grow up, and then see that gradual transition from the head when they turn green and that was so cool to see um they're they're really interesting and the way they eat i i just love the way they just nibble the the, the food out of you. Oh, and the
0: butt shaking and the leg stretching yeah. and the little wing flapping as they're learning. Oh, they're like the most adorable things. They really are just amazing creatures. And I believe I may be a duck addict now for life. Because we had chickens before. We had bantam chickens and so on. And they're niceish, but you know they're you know they've never they were kind of friendly, but only because you have food. And we had a lizard for a while. And yeah, no, these these are the guys. I mean, I just recommend this to people if you can get a hold of them and you've got some land for them. Uh, we built a hutch for them, and oh, it's just, it's, uh, they're just, and my daughter is completely enraptured. So that always makes you happy as a
1: parent. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's wrap this up. Uh, uh, for those who uh, want to check you out and follow your stuff, uh, plug whatever you want to plug before we get out of here.
0: So, OnlyFans, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, I would recommend, um, I've, I've got a bunch of books. They're all, all free, and you can get them at freedomain.com forward slash books. Please check out the novel. Uh, you know, it sounds like kind of pathetic to beg, but I'm telling you, you will love this book. Uh, it's a historical epic, uh, European history, First World War, Second World War, British family, German family, the whole scope of the rise of Nazism. And it's really I've been, I'm half uh, Irish and half German. So I've got family stories on both sides that I incorporated. So it's really deeply researched and a really great book. I hope people will check it out. And again, it's completely free. You can get the ebook version, you can get the audiobook version all free. So I hope people will check that out other than that uh, fdrpodcast.com if you want to listen to the podcasts or fdr sorry freedomain.com forward/connect slash connect if you want to check me out on social media and i really do appreciate the uh, the time to chat and i was a really really enjoyable conversation and great questions
1: yeah thanks i was i was happy to, to have you on and uh, yeah i think you know these kind of conversations are uh, illuminating and and you know i think that The kind of, you know, we we don't have enough of this in in the world. And so the more, you know, part of, you know, like we talked about years ago and tonight, you know, part of what I want to focus on is not bickering with people about, you know, you know, God or not God. But like, let's just let's just focus on creating a society where that difference, you know doesn't matter anymore because we're all living in in a, tr- a truly harmonious cooperative fashion and that's yeah whoever opposes
0: the initiation of force is uh, brothers and sisters and that's what we got to focus on these days
1: agreed all right well thanks stefan for your time and uh, thanks uh for those of you for watching and uh enjoy the rest of- save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app